0: Today I will be talking to Dr. Tracy Dennis-Tiwari about why anxiety is actually good for you, even though it doesn't feel very good. And if you would like to find out more about all aspects to do with relationships, please head over to therelationshipmaze.com, where you can also take our argument style quiz. Well, welcome to today's session. Uh, and I am delighted to be talking to Tracy. Tracy Dennis Tiwari, is that how you pronounce your surname? Yeah? Perfect, yes. Um, so let me just very briefly introduce Tracy to you so that you know who, who I'm talking to. So, uh, Dr. Tracy uh, Dennis Tiwari is a researcher an entrepreneur. And she's the author of the book, uh, Future Tense, Why Anxiety is Good for You, Even Though It Feels Bad, which will be the subject of our conversation today. Um, And uh, just another thing to add about Tracy, she is Professor of Psychology and Neuroscience uh, Director of the Emotion Regulation Lab, which sounds so interesting as well. Um, And she's the co-executive director of the Center for Health Technology at City University, New York. So welcome, Tracy. Thank you, uh, Angela.
1: What a pleasure to be with you.
0: Yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm so I was so delighted when you agreed uh, to have this conversation with me today, because I've been very eagerly reading your book, um, Future you. Tense, uh, Why Anxiety is Good for You. Um, and maybe we can kind of just launch in to that straight away. Why is it good for you? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: well, the first thing, right, that doesn't really make a lot of intuitive sense at first blush, because we all know that anxiety feels terrible yeah. and we have come to believe that when there's an uncomfortable, terrible feeling, we need to fix it and eradicate it. Mm-hmm. And so this is sort of, you know, and you know, we psychologists and mental health professionals have promulgated this idea yeah. that, you know, when there's an emotional stressor or discomfort, it's sort of a danger signal. Yeah. And so we should soothe it as soon as possible and treat it like a disease. Mm-hmm. On the spectrum with anxiety disorders and eradicate it. So yeah. this is this whole disease model that has driven the mental health profession for the better part of 80 years. Mm-hmm. And the argument in, that I make in the book is that this model, this disease story of anxiety in particular, but mm-hmm. many many difficult emotions um, is not only incorrect, but on uh, many levels but it's actually setting us up for failure yeah. and priming us to do more unhelpful things when it comes to actually working with our difficult emotions, regulating emotions, mm. channeling them as a, you know, as a part of being human. Yes. So, so anxiety in particular, I really think about it as you know, one of those uncomfortable emotions, but one that gives us some of the greatest gifts at the same time. So if we can first separate it from an anxiety disorder, so let's just start for a moment, let's talk about anxiety as an emotion. Yeah. What is anxiety? Well, it feels like fear. Mm-hmm. right? So it has, you know, your heart might race. you might have butterflies in your stomach, you might freeze all, you know, choking feeling in your throat. Those can go along with anxiety, mm-hmm. but fear and anxiety are distinctly different because fear is information mm-hmm. that right now in the moment you are facing a certain and present threat. Yeah, So there is a snake about to bite you. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, you know, you're in um, imminent and present danger. You have no doubt about it. And so Uh, You know, fear has evolved to be helpful to us in those situations. It primes fight or flight. Sometimes we freeze changes in our biology and our thinking that prepare us to cope. Right. But anxiety has nothing to do with the present tense. It has nothing to do with certainty. Actually, anxiety is apprehension. Mm-hmm. about the uncertain future and of course the play on words with future tense was was intended uh, with the title of the book so anxiety makes us into these mental time travelers into the future mm-hmm. and why is that useful well it hinges on one of the great achievements of human evolution which is the ability to think about plan imagine the future that has not happened yet to simulate something using our prefrontal cortex this big brain of ours to mm-hmm. simulate a future that hasn't happened mm-hmm. so anxiety is the emotion that that transmits us there in many ways. Mm -hmm. We know that something bad could happen, Mm -hmm. but we also know that it's not time to give up hope yet because something good could happen as well. So anxiety is not despair. Mm -hmm. Anxiety is something we feel when we care about the future, when we still believe we're in it to win it, that we have the power to make positive outcomes into reality. Like, like a job interview I have, I might have tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I could be anxious about it because I could Bomb it! I could do terribly, mm-hmm. but if I'm anxious, I also know that I could crush it and I could get the job of my dreams. Yeah. And anxiety primes us to work for that positive outcome.
0: So, it's so, yeah. so that's why it's good for us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Anxiety is much. But I mean, you. This is such a paradigm shift, though, isn't it, Tracy? And I think this is why I love your book so much um, because as you rightly argue in the book, there there has been this model of anxiety as disease, yeah? And we hear about it everywhere, don't we? Everywhere. Everywhere, I mean, and every... I suppose every client I work with, ultimately, to some extent, will present with anxiety. Yeah, that's also mm-hmm. the language that they would be using to describe what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. So it's so um, it's so difficult, isn't it, to shift that? I imagine.
1: Mm-hmm. It is. It's, it's ubiquitous, and we feel as if we're living in this age of anxiety as well. But but go on. I think you were going to. Complete. No, no,
0: no. Absolutely. It's uh, so. I mean, it's uh, and I think one thing that I have learned in all my years as a therapist is that it's really difficult to shift. Yeah. Because because we've been mm-hmm. sort of working on this model that anxiety is really bad, uh, mm-hmm. uh, is really because it's unpleasant. It's not something that we enjoy. We must get rid of it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And they have all there have been all these cognitive uh, models, of course, you know, and particularly CBT, for example. Is the focus has always been on let's manage it and let's get get rid of it, and that's mm-hmm. so completely the opposite of what you're saying, right? Yes, yes.
1: Although I, I, it is, it is this model. That's often implicit. But if you actually look at CBT, as you know, mm-hmm. yes, we have to get rid of it. It's this sort of it's dangerous. It's a dysfunction. But at the same time, what are the gold standard treatments yeah. for most anxiety disorders? Yeah. Exposure and response prevention. Well, you have to You know, you have to expose yourself. The only way out yeah. of debilitating anxiety is through. So we know this as psychologists, Mm. but we, I think as a society and as societies across the world Mm. um, in the U S Europe, UK and beyond, I I think that we default now Mm. to this, this experience, this thought that mental health Mm. equals equals the absence of emotional discomfort.
0: That's a really good point.
1: Yes. And so,
0: Mm. right. So any, uh, and
1: and so anxiety is a standard bearer, in a way, because it's it sort of describes what we feel in this uncertain point in history, I think. But think about any of the unpleasant emotions. Yeah, you know, so if we're too angry, if we're too sad, if we're too, we have to wait, that means that we're not mentally healthy. And so we become alarmed. Yeah. we we immediately try try to fix whatever's broken. Mm-hmm. But what if we shifted, as you said, this mindset shift that's mm-hmm. so hard and instead considered, maybe this is the messy work of being human. Yes. Maybe we can learn to be anxious and sad and angry and in, in the right way yes. that serves us. Maybe emotions that are difficult and painful were designed to be that way, to make that's, us sit yeah. up and pay attention and motivate us. Yeah, you know, that's so, so that's the shift. And so the mm-hmm. whole goal of my book it's sort of a meta self help book in a way because it's not a tradition it's a, it's not a traditional self help book it's more of an idea book but i think that unless we sh- make this mindset shift mm-hmm. all of the great treatments out there the great self help the great science based you know wellness practices they won't work as effectively yeah because we're setting ourselves up for failure by trying to eradicate, avoid, suppress, medicate out of existence, all this uncomfortable, these uncomfortable feelings mm,
0: that's that, we, big, that big. we
1: pathologize. So that's the premise of my book in many ways.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really good. So it's really, it's the uh, antithesis to Brave New World that you're describing in a way, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, how so? say more about that. That's, I guess- Well, yeah, this idea of the, you know, that we all, um, I, I think you made a really interesting point there about uh, we mustn't have bad feelings, yeah? We cannot tolerate bad okay. feelings. Let's try right. to medicate. Let's try to take yeah. them away, et etc.
1: No, that's right. I think that is actually. You know, I, I wrote this book also at a point in my career. I've been a psychologist uh, for and researcher primarily for twenty years. Mm-hmm. I actually defended my dissertation on September eleventh, two thousand
0: and one. Oh well, wow. <laughs>
1: meaning meaning on as a New Yorker on September eleventh when. our world, and I think all over the world, talk about a paradigm shift and awareness Mm -hmm. of mental health being more important than ever. So, Mm -hmm. so I actually, after doing 20 years of work, I know that we have great treatments. We've advanced wonderfully. We, for those who need it, there are anti-anxiety medications and some effective, you know, they should be combined with psychotherapy whenever possible and cognitive behavioral therapy, but there's still, there's wellness, there's, there's great science and treatments. Mm -hmm. But then when I looked up from my hard work of 20 years, I felt this profound sense of failure because mental health problems are on the rise, particularly anxiety Absolutely. disorders. Absolutely. So that's this mystery, this conundrum mm. that I wrote the book to try to grapple with. And I think mm. part of the answer is that the disease story mm. of mental illness doesn't work. And actually, if you, if you know, um, in the U S uh, uh, Dr. Tom Insel who was the director of the National Institute of Mental Health mm-hmm. for 10 plus years. It's our major funding agency for mental health research. I've been a, a very grateful recipient of many <laughs> of money from the NIMH. Um, and, and Dr. Insull had control of about $22 billion in, in research funding over his tenure. And about three weeks ago, he was at uh, the Aspen Ideas Festival where, you know, people come together and talk about, you know, kind of important ideas and important people. And he made this statement. He said, the disease model of mental illness does not work, full mm-hmm. stop. Yeah. Now, he was the standard bearer of that model
0: mm.
1: and has since devoted himself to actually doing more um, kind of technology-based projects and mm-hmm. was at Silicon, in Silicon Valley for a while. And he wrote a book about, but what, if, if he... is sort of also, it was kind of nice, not nice to hear that, but in a way, you know, converging perspective. But what does that mean that the disease model doesn't work? It means Mm. we don't treat the challenges we have emotionally and psychologically, like we do an infectious disease or cancer, because what do you do? You find the pathogen, you find the diseased organ, you find the diseased process, Mm. you destroy it, you eradicate, it's a malfunction. Emotions just simply do not work that
0: way, way, does it? Mental health is a different kettle of fish, right? So we
1: need to be much more punk rock about how we approach the mental health industrial complex, frankly. And to say, even if most of us, I believe most of us, have the best of intentions, Mm. this huge, overwhelming field, Mm. and this, and and the self help world has, Mm. I think, unintentionally become predatory, in the sense that we're promulgating this destructive idea about mental health and we're not and and we're actually sabotaging the solutions that actually that have a chance at working with this attitude of some i'm broken i'm vulnerable i'm fragile i have to hide from these experiences that is the that is i believe the fundamental problem we face right now
0: yeah yeah absolutely and 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 this there's a similar debate raging in in the mental health community in britain as well around the dsm-5 and and maybe you know re redefining some of the criteria and there's been a sort of alternative model which has been called power threat meaning i don't know whether you heard of that mm,
1: no i'd love so to learn i'll longer. send you some details. Yeah. but I, I don't want to yeah. but is that that's a dimensional enough. approach right this idea that yes. our challenges as humans yeah and it's messy work being a human you know it's very messy absolutely it, instead of putting us in these boxes which yield have yielded some helpfulness don't get me completely wrong but Breaking out of this, like you diagnose a disease in the, through mm-hmm. the DSM and instead thinking about problems on a dimension, more yeah. like a dimmer switch, yes. right? Than a, <gasps> than a, like than a switch, like on and off. You have it, you don't. You have cancer, yeah. you don't. Yeah. It doesn't work the same for you have anxiety. You don't, you always have anxiety. Yeah. There is no bad anxiety. The ways we cope with anxiety, as you know, as, a, 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 you mm-hmm. know, as someone who, who works with people and is in this field, it is the ways we cope with those difficult challenges, with whether it's trauma, stress, mm-hmm. difficult emotions, it's the coping, if it gets in the way of living a full and healthy life or a relationship, or mm-hmm. that's when it might be diagnosed as a disorder. But mm-hmm. not because we're having intense emotional experiences alone, that just doesn't meet,
0: no. uh, not enough. So it's really about the story that we tell ourselves about our emotions, isn't it? That's kind of what you're touching on as well, is about how do you, what meaning do you create around feeling anxious, mm-hmm. for example? Do you get terrified in terms of, oh, God, I shouldn't be feeling that. Yeah, that's the sort of, that's the, that's the experience often, isn't it? And I really loved what you're describing in your book also about that anxiety is the new, the new stress, so to speak. In the past, everyone was always talking about stress. Yeah, yeah everyone was stressed. now When I-, I was
1: growing up in the 70s and 80s, that was the sort of Absolutely. all the catch-all. <laughs> anything yeah. good, anything bad, anything
0: uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. With stress, and I believe now that's anxiety.
0: Yeah, and and it's so um, it's so relevant and, and also so terrifying for me to hear so many teenagers uh, describe their experiences in these terms. Yeah, so many teen or children already uh, are being described as too anxious. Uh, teenagers have anxiety, etc. So, so there's another topic that I wanted to you to briefly talk about, which I thought was absolutely great, which was the idea of anti fragility. Children are not fragile, you say, yeah? Can no, you it's, say the, it? it's the title of that chapter. Yes, <laughs> exactly.
1: That's right. So, and this is so important because I, you know, I'm a parent yeah. of a 10 and a 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, unfortunate for, unfortunately for them, they do feature in the book. Yeah. <laughs> a little yeah, bit. They're going to kill me later when they're a little older, but... Start um, saving for the <laughs> therapy now, Tracy. <laughs> 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 um, but, you know, as parents we, um, for good reason, Mm. are anxious for our children's future. There is, again, it's this, we're looking into this uncertain future and saying, oh my goodness, Mm. what is this world we've handed them? Mm. Have we, uh, you know, uh, blocked their ability to cope well with the world? Do they have enough grit? Do they have opportunities that I had growing up? So much, you know, so we're, Mm. we've been primed for a number of years now, way before the pandemic, just the past decade or two, really, even more so to feel anxiety and to worry that our kids' fragility, that if they're fragile, they're not going to make it in this tough world. So, mm. when we see them showing anxiety or s- emotional struggles, our anxiety about that anxiety makes us want to do primarily one thing is to remove all of those bad feelings, mm. protect them, accommodate that, make everything okay. Now, those are the best of intentions. Now, the problem is, though, and turning to this phrase you brought up, anti fragility, mm. that approach assumes that kids are fragile, mm. like a china teacup. Mm -hmm. that if you break it, you know, if you drop it, it it smashes on the ground. You can never put that teacup back together again. Mm -hmm. But the opposite of fragility, it's not resilience, actually, it's anti-fragility. And that's what kids and all of us and our emotions actually are. Mm -hmm. That's a phrase that Nassim Nicholas Taleb coined in his book from, oh gosh, I think about 12 or 13 years ago. It's a book, Mm -hmm. the subtitle is Things That Gain From Disorder. So he talked about um, social systems, biological, he's talked about an array of systems mm. that actually grow stronger, mm. but not just that can resist challenge or stress, yeah. but grow stronger because of stress. Yeah. So the immune system is a beautiful example of that. Mm. If you do not throw germs and pathogens and you know bacteria and viruses at the immune system, from the get-go that we're born into this world, the immune system will not learn to function Mm -hmm. or it will start to turn in on of itself in some unhealthy ways. And we will be, you know, the boy in the plastic bubble where we won't be able to mount an immune response. Same with muscles. If you don't strain them and work them, they will atrophy. Mm -hmm. Our emotions and our kids' emotions are the same way. If we don't allow our kids to feel difficult emotions, to figure out how to endure, to tolerate and to cope, yeah. They will not learn those 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 skills. And those are skills. Mm. And when our kids are as you know, um anxious and, and, and sad and all these intense feelings, it does not mean they're broken. Yeah. It means they're struggling with being human.
0: Yeah.
1: And and so so in the the chapter on mm. on uh, anti-fragility in kids, I really am asking parents to consider. That when we help our kids cope with anxiety, it doesn't mean you have to throw them in the deep end and just Mm -hmm. hope they swim, Mm -hmm. but the best way out is really through. It's really teaching our kids and modeling ourselves Mm -hmm. that we can tolerate and sit with anxieties, Mm -hmm. that it doesn't mean we're bad or broken or there's something wrong. We can learn how to cope with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, there was actually a beautiful study that illustrated this, even with clinically anxious kids. Um, it was a study that came out of the Yale Child Study Center just a few years ago, 2018, Ellie Leibowitz and colleagues. And they've since replicated this study and, they're, and they actually offer this treatment now. Um, so it was a randomized trial where they took uh, kids who were diagnosed with anxiety disorders at the Yale Child Study Center mm-hmm. clinic. And, you know, typically the gold standard treatment for kids suffering from anxiety disorders would be cognitive behavioral therapy. And we have these great six and eight week courses of therapy that are quite effective. Yeah. But what they did instead is they didn't give the kids therapy. They gave the parents therapy. It, uh-huh. it was called it's called space supportive yeah parenting for anxious children. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they simply teach the parents to stop over-accommodating their kids' anxieties. So if their kids was, uh, you know, school anxieties or or separation anxiety disorder, Mm -hmm. and they want to stay home and the parents been letting them stay home and maybe sleep in bed with them at night, and it's starting to be, it's getting Mm -hmm. in the way to not do that anymore. And to slowly, gradually support the kids in facing going to school and building those coping strategies and not being part of this avoidance that we know drives vicious cycles of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And they were just simply taught to do this step-by-step, little-by-little in a supportive way with their anxious kids over six weeks. And then they compared the clinical symptoms of these kids, the anxiety symptoms, to kids who received traditional cognitive behavioral therapy themselves. And the kids whose parents only got the therapy were doing as well as the kids who got therapy themselves.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Just focusing in, On this one thing that parents can do, which is to help kids through rather than around anxiety. And I think that's such an elegant, profound, and crucial message for for us mental health professionals, but also as parents.
0: It really is and I can vouch for that because I've had uh, uh, without going into too much detail, I've had a, a, an experience like that with my daughter who struggled to go to school. So the therapy um, that we as parents got was was way more effective than the therapy that we. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right and that's not to parent blame. Exactly that, it's, it's just to... to see the cycle and to see how yeah. avoidance. Yeah. and suppression is actually the most dangerous thing you can do with anxiety. Mm-hmm. So that's why the disease model of anxiety is so destructive mm-hmm. because it primes us to avoid and to fear. Yeah. yeah, And it also is an opportunity cost because it keeps us from seeing that not only is anxiety sort of, you know, we think of it, oh, maybe it's protective yeah. because it's kind of like, oh, we evolved to like react to saber tooth tigers and dangerous things. Mm-hmm. And good thing we have fear and anxiety. We just lump it into this fight flight thing. Mm-hmm. But anxiety is so much more than fight and flight, even biologically. So we know now, now that we're asking different questions as scientists, We know that when we're anxious, we actually increase levels of dopamine in the brain, Mm. which is the feel-good hormone. And that's not just sex, drugs, and rock and roll. What dopamine actually does, because it's a neurotransmitter, is it's a shuttlecock of sorts. It shuttles information Mm. among brain regions that allow our brains to efficiently pursue positive Mm. goals. Mm. So it actually makes us more focused and efficient on a biological level. Mm -hmm. Uh, It also primes oxytocin, which is a social bonding hormone. And as we know, and you, I think you know, especially as someone who really uh, specializes in relationships, seeking out social support mm-hmm. is one of the most powerful ways that we manage our mm-hmm. challenges, our stresses, our difficult emotions. And, and so it primes us to do that as if anxiety is in this sort of fractal way, it contains its own solutions. So, mm-hmm. but we don't think of anxiety in, in that way. We don't think about how it makes us more productive, more innovative, more creative. And there's great evidence to suggest it does just that. So, so that's the conversation you yeah. need to start having about anxiety. And not just creating it with a danger signal.
0: Absolutely. So it's got an image problem, really, hasn't it? It's a PR problem. I feel like I'm a publicist sometimes. (laughs) I I think.
1: (laughs) But that's what a mindset shift is, right? It's about telling the right story. Yeah. Um, But when I tell people I'm a publicist for anxiety, it makes everyone very uncomfortable. But I was like, oh, good. That's okay. We have to be a
0: little more uncomfortable. And I really really loved also uh, in the book, you also talk about the link between anxiety and creativity, which I really thought was fantastic.
1: And one of the ways it helps us be creative, we, we think, oh, you're anxious. You just need to get it done. And anxiety does prime us to persist. Um, and I know in my career as a scientist, as a writer, I would not have been able to do half of what I've done mm-hmm. if it weren't for that little frisson of that, that anxious mm-hmm. sort of, I want to get this right. I want to, you know, so we can leverage and channel that. Um, But it makes us more than persistent. And actually, because we're persisting when we face obstacles, when we're anxious, Mm. we're trying to make that positive future into a reality. We actually also are more innovative. We think of more out of of the box ideas because we just go for it longer. Mm. And and sometimes anxiety can tip over into toxic perfectionism, which is not good. You know, perfectionism is about flawlessness People who are perfectionists cease to be able to learn from their mistakes. Mm. And they also, it's a law of diminishing returns in a way too, because people just don't know when it's good enough when you're a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. But anxiety actually also primes us to do something much better, which is be an excellencist.
0: I love that too.
1: Right, which is this notion that no, we're not always perfect, but we can be excellent. We have to make mistakes along the way to get there. Uh, We have to, you know, we, Thomas Edison said, and he was an excellencist. He said, you know, I haven't, uh, I I haven't failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work yet. Mm -hmm. And that's what an excellence is. And Anxiety can be our helpmate in being an excellence and really knowing, you know, we care about this and we're going to keep doing it until we really do something wonderful.
0: Absolutely, no, it's great. I I really love that concept as well. What a different way! uh, What a different way of thinking about it. Right, and
1: you can channel the perfectionism in this better way.
0: (laughs) Well, exactly. Use use it, use that drive, but use it in a good way, in a positive, in a in a fruitful way. Yeah, is what.
1: And if you don't listen to and honor anxiety, you won't see those ways Mm. to channel it. And you know, honestly, listen, anxiety does get the better of us a lot of times. The world is very hard right now. And anxiety Mm. disorders are real. Mm. You know, I would never. I, you know, I sometimes talk about this, and with this sort of flashy title of anxiety is good for you, even though it feels bad. People are concerned that I'm uh, maybe, perhaps, saying anxiety disorders aren't real, or ah, just white knuckle it through, change your mindset, and anxiety disorders will be fine. That's really not what I'm saying at all. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is that whether we're coping with an anxiety disorder and receiving great treatment, which we should, and doing all those things. Or if we're struggling with day-to-day anxiety, shifting your mindset to consider how to make anxiety an ally Mm -hmm. will prime us to do many more of the helpful things Mm -hmm. and many fewer of the unhelpful things. It's just the more helpful way to be human and to know that anxiety is a feature of being human. It's not a bug. It's not a malfunction. Absolutely.
0: Okay, great. And I think maybe just to to wrap up this conversation, I I just wanted you to very briefly touch on the three principles that you mentioned at the end of the book, because I think they're really helpful for for people, aren't they, to consider?
1: Yes, thank you. Um, And if people do persist to that last chapter, chapter 10, I say, okay, I've been talking about this now. Let me. (laughs) Yeah. What do we do here? What do we do? And really, again, this is this is a framework Mm -hmm. um, and we know that mindset shifts. Mindset shifts when it comes to anxiety and stress, it biologically and and cognitively helps us cope better. There's great evidence that I review in the book about this. So, how do we uh, have these sort of when we're overwhelmed, we don't have to check off a checklist, but how do we just keep these principles in mind? And so, I came up with three, as you say. The first principle, and if we go no further than this, it's going to help, is to think that anxiety is information. Mm -hmm. So, just start by listening to it. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Meaning anxiety tells us what we care about in the world. Anxiety uh, tells us about the future and what's possible, both the negative and the positive. Um, I woke up the other morning, five a.m. This happens to me. I wrote the book about anxiety, and I definitely still have anxiety <laughs> on a daily basis. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. depending, depending. But yeah. you know, you w- a lot of us experience this. You wake up in the morning, early morning. Thoughts are going through your head. You, it's worries. It's free-floating anxiety. Mm. If we reject that and say, "Oh, something must be wrong with me. I better just, uh, you know, um, try to run out of the house and not think about this and keep myself busy," and maybe I should start doom scrolling now. If, you, know, we escape, you know, if we instead say, "Well, wait a second. This is something's on my mind.
0: Yeah,
1: let me listen to what this might be telling me. Maybe it's a mm-hmm. smoke alarm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and either I have to replace the batteries in the smoke alarm or there might be a fire somewhere. So let me tune in." And what I think we'll find most of the time is that we are actually learning. We're listening to that tummy test. We're listening to our inner wisdom. Mm -hmm. And I was having feelings about, you know, I'm a New Yorker. We're looking for a new apartment right now. Real estate in big cities all over the world is what it's like the most stress, you know, it's not easy. And I was getting a feeling that this one apartment we were looking at, just there was, I was just like, something was bugging me about it. Something was bugging me about it. Mm -hmm. And so I tuned in and I sort of realized that that apartment wasn't the right one for us because I allowed myself to listen to that very uncomfortable anxiety. So that's what I mean by that. And so we can discover many things, but start with the premise Mm -hmm. that this is potentially helpful information. uh, Something an ally would tell you, even if you have to negotiate with that ally, that's the first. The second principle is acknowledging that sometimes anxiety isn't helpful information. It's either too general, too overwhelming, It's not quite we're not quite sure, you know, it's like we're turning the radio knob and it's not quite tuning into the channel yet. We need more time. Yeah. And that's the time when we know, Okay, we can let go of this future tense because it's it's making us like think about the future and and work over it and worry and try to control it and do, you know, we can let go Mm -hmm. and use the things that we know are helpful tools for us to come back to the present moment. And the thing that I want to do with this idea is to really empower people that they do know what they need to do in some ways, if they think about it as I just need to come into the present tense now. So Mm -hmm. what helps you immerse yourself in the present? Maybe it's exercising. Exercise is one of the greatest things. It's literally one of the best treatments for everything. And then you see what's left over, you know, in terms of problems to address. Exercise. I love to write poetry. It's usually bad poetry, but it makes me have a different mindset. It opens Mm -hmm. me up. So talk to a friend, talk to your psychologist. Um. Do you know? Do those things. Listen to music. What you know. Whatever it is, do that self care with the goal of bringing yourself into this present mindfulness techniques. As we talk about, or one of the yeah. you know. We know that these are great tools. They work. Yeah. Right. They work uh, for many many people. We know and give it yourself a chance to discover what works for you. Yeah. And then the third principle is once you've you know maybe taken a step back in the present tense, come back and see if anxiety is still useful in some ways. Mm-hmm. And if it is. Remember, anxiety is energy. It's motivation, as you said. It's like a wave. Mm. You can learn to swim it. You can learn to surf it. You can ride it forward, but hitch it to something that gives you a sense of meaning and purpose. Yeah, you know, it. it, You know, connect it because anxiety. You're only anxious when you care. So use that anxiety. Yeah, use it. Know that it can make you more creative, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the other thing. Use it to bring yourself to something that gives you meaning in life, Mm -hmm. whether that's finding an apartment (laughs) or supporting a family member who's struggling with something and you're feeling that anxiety too, or creating a beautiful work of art or whatever it is. Channel it and 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 immerse yourself in the sense of purposefulness and meaning, and that's what always makes us most human
0: and connected wonderful what a great message yes so um obviously i'm going to put the link to the book in our show notes so that people can have a look at it and hopefully you know get it i can really recommend it it's such a good book there's so much wisdom in it that i think is really helpful so you, I, want to, I want to I want to say thank you, Tracy. Really thank you for, for making the time and for also working through our initial uh, uh anxiety at the beginning of this podcast <laughs> yeah. because we had a total technical failure, uh, Tracy yeah. and I. So I was getting really flustered and anxious. Oh, and all my yeah. brain, my brain wasn't functioning anymore. So but yeah. we worked through it, right? We worked through the it. The best way it's out was through, it. and we
1: did. And connect and we connected together over it, Absolutely. which is always one of the best ways. I thought that was a beautiful way to start our discussion. And thank you so much for inviting me to speak with you, Angela. It's a pleasure.
0: Brilliant. Thanks. Thank you.